Well, I want to talk to you today about everyday joy. When we've read the book of Acts, we've noticed that these early Christians didn't have an easy time of it. They often faced persecution and opposition. Yet we read verses like Acts 13, verse 52, that says, quite remarkably, they were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. And that was on a bad day. Right away, we see, if we're talking about everyday joy and what it means, we understand this, it's not to do with what's happening around us. It's to do with who's inside of us. And today I want to invite you deeper into that experience. And it could be that you're not even a Christian and you're watching this today. Well, there's a joy that you can experience at the very deepest level of your being that is more satisfying than any other joy or emotion you can experience. And it starts with inviting Jesus into your life and allowing him to work. But it could be that you're wondering why I'm standing by the Water of Leith today. And the answer to that question is, partly because I know some of you like this kind of creativity. And uh, the, the other part is this, that some of the people of God of old, people like King David in Psalm 36, described this knowledge, this experience of the joy of God. They described it as a river. And I'd love us to explore this river today. So we're going to read from Psalm 36. Why don't we read it together out loud, right where you're watching this today. It says, How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast in the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. It's the river of delights that God's inviting us into. Now, if you were to walk along uh, the river, this water of Leith, you'd make a discovery that it's littered with remnants of former industry as you go through Gorgie and into Leith, where a previous generation discovered that rivers could be used to create power and energy and water could be tapped from them to bring help to industry and to build and make a city thrive. Now, I wonder in our generation whether it's time for us to rediscover the river of God, the river of God's delight, to bring life not only to us in challenging times, but life to our whole city and life to our whole nation and life to this world. So let's explore this river together. So here we are after a quick change of clothes and uh, coming back to the church building. I hope you enjoyed the walk. We're ready to continue our journey looking at the river of God's joy and how we can experience it. So this river has a beginning and an end. And it started with you leaping for joy in your mother's womb as a baby. Because we read about John the Baptist when he was in his mother's womb, when he came into the presence of the unborn Jesus in Mary's womb, that his mother said, I felt John leap for joy in my womb. Do you know, every human being, no matter how old, even from inside their mother's womb, was designed to find joy in God. That's what you were made for. That's what I was made for. And it's the most wonderful thing. You know, if you're a pregnant mother watching and you feel that extra large kick, maybe that's your baby leaping for joy at the prospect of living in the joy of God forever. God made you to leap for joy in his presence. There's joy to be had. But this river, it has an end. And we read about that in Isaiah 35 verse 10, which describes the ultimate homecoming of God's people 
coming to be with him forever in eternity. And it describes it this way. It says, those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Do you remember singing? Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. Do you know, the ultimate reward for those who follow Jesus isn't simply rest. I mean, rest is good if you're tired. Of course it is, and there is rest. But the trouble with rest is many of us over these last few months have enjoyed forced rest if we've been furloughed or any other reason. And some of us haven't found that very enjoyable. So the idea of rest being the ultimate, you think, well, I'm not sure about that. Well, this verse says that the ultimate is this, joy. The ultimate reward is being crowned, crowned with joy. Isn't that an exciting prospect? My son, Ben, when he was five years old, uh, I was walking him to school one of his first days and he was swinging his rucksack around and uh, I was chatting to him. I said, Ben, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, I want to be king. And I said, why do you want to be king? Because he said, then somebody else would have to carry my bag. And we have this idea that the ultimate in life is to, is to, to rest and to do nothing. But that doesn't sound very exciting to me. Whereas being in a place of joy forever, wow, that sounds really good to me. That's what you were made for. That's where it's going. Gladness and joy will overtake them, it says. What comfort, sorrow and sighing, fleeing. If you find yourself right now diminished through sorrow, hold on, because joy is coming to crown your head soon. But this river, it doesn't just have a beginning and an end. It, it has a life all the way through. If I remember my primary school biology correctly, rivers have a youthful stage, a middle-aged stage, and a mature stage. Now, slightly depressingly, when it, when it described the middle-aged stage, it simply said the river at that stage is, it gets wider and slower. I thought, what a terrible description of middle age. I, I really hope that doesn't happen to me when I come to that. Um, but it, it, here's the thing about this river. It has stages. We go through stages in life. And these aren't sequential stages. But the Bible talks about experiencing God with our hearts, with our minds, and with our wills, and following him in those three areas. And I think it's important as we talk about joy that we don't think of it from a singular point of view. Because joy encompasses the whole of a person, the whole of you and me. And if we're to experience joy, we need to understand it on those three fundamental levels. If you want to read a really great book, by the way, read a book called Spiritual Depression by Martin Lloyd-Jones. You would never buy a book with that title, probably, but it's a book all about rediscovering joy. And it's a wonderful book. I've been reading it recently. If you want to dig deeper in this, read that book. It's really excellent. He's a Bible teacher and a medical doctor. He interfaces those things so well. Read the book. But let's first of all talk about heart emotions. Let's navigate this stage of the river. It says in the Bible, the moment of salvation is often accompanied by great joy. It says in Acts verse 8 that Philip preached in a city where many people were healed Many people were set free from lifelong habit patterns. And it says this, there was great joy in that city. I'm not surprised. Wouldn't that be amazing if we saw people healed and delivered and, and come to know Jesus? That would be amazing. 
So there was an emotional response, people feeling really happy about it. You know, seeing what God does in other people produces emotional joy. Jesus experienced that. He, he saw what God was doing through his disciples when they went out to preach and heal the people. And he said, it says, Jesus filled with joy through the Holy Spirit, uh, prayed to God. Jesus experienced emotional joy. It's a wonderful thing. You know, we're designed to experience joy when we hear good news. And I remember somebody just texting me recently a picture of their small group sitting socially distant outside, but physically meeting. It just brought me so much joy. It was, it was wonderful. When you hear a story of healing, when you hear a story of salvation, it brings you joy because God designed us that way. Stories of extraordinary grace in difficult situations bring us joy. But there's a warning that comes with emotional joy. When Jesus taught, the parable of the sower. He said this about the seed that, that fell onto the shallow ground. He said, the seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But then it only lasts a short time. And Jesus said, there's an emotional response to the word of God that produces something really amazing for a few minutes or a few days or a few weeks. But then it seems to go away and people get confused. They say, well, what happened to my joy? If all we feed on is the latest story, then all we'll ever be is yo-yo Christians. And worst of all, we can become deeply cynical when we see disappointments happen. Joy must be more than a feeling. Joy is a wonderful thing. But joy is a sugarly peg to hang your jacket on. We must hang our jackets on more than emotional joy. So let's move on to this second kind, the joy that gets hold of our mind, experiencing the truth of God with our minds. This is so important. We use our minds to live in the truth of God's word, the truth of his work in our life. There's something that the early Christians, they got to grips with, that they experienced that the grace of God was a gift to them. Somebody came along and said, you don't need to be circumcised anymore. That was the teaching of the Old Testament, the Jewish religion saying, it matters what you do. It matters whether you get circumcised or not. It matters whether you adhere to all of the Old Testament laws. And Paul comes along and teaches the grace of God. And, and he says, you don't need to do any of that stuff anymore because God has done it all for you. Jesus has done everything necessary to bring you into right relationship with God. He calls it being justified. It means just as if I'd never sinned. It means being put right with God. I wonder if you need to experience the joy that comes from knowing this, that you're in right relationship with God because of what he's done totally for you and not you for him. Do you live in that truth of God's unconditional grace for you? Do you live in the joy of forgiveness from past guilt and sin? Because the Bible says in 1 John 1 verse 8, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's amazing. If you find the enemy keeps raking over your past, if you find that he keeps going over things and reminding you of few things you did a week ago or a year ago or 20 years ago, and you think, oh, I'm still feeling rotten about that. I want you to experience 
the truth of God with your mind that will enable you to live in joy that says those sins are forgiven, they're forgotten, God sees them no more, that he accepts you and he's forgiven you. Perhaps your experience today is one of joylessness. Even as we're talking about joy, you're kind of feeling guilty because you think, I know I should be doing better than I am. I know I'm a Christian, I should be joyful, but I'm not feeling joyful. Well, do you know the Apostle Paul called it out in the church in Galatia? He said, in chapter 4, verse 4, he said, guys, what has happened to all your joy? So he talked about it. Here's what he wanted to happen to them. He wanted them to experience joy again. So he talked to them about it. If you're lacking joy today, bring it to Jesus. When we confess it to him, we can find forgiveness for our sins and we can experience the grace that flows when we do that. If you want to experience the joy that comes through feeding on truth with your mind, then I want to encourage you to get yourself a Spotify worship playlist and to sing along at home. I don't know about you, this is what's happened for me the last couple of months. I've stopped singing because we're not doing it in church on a Sunday morning together. And so those songs are no longer in my head in the same way. So in the middle of the week, I'm not humming those tunes and, and feeding on the truth of them. And I, I, I twigged it a couple of weeks ago. I thought, you know, I'm, I'm finding myself less joyful because I'm not singing about God. And so I, I dug out an old 80s worship playlist. What I loved about the, the, the 1980s and 1990s, not saying that, that we should go back to those, uh, those choruses, but uh, it was this, they were packed full of truth. They were simply scriptures put to songs. And I remember read, uh, singing words like rejoice, rejoice, Christ is in you. Or Jehovah Jireh, my provider, his grace is sufficient for me. Or we rejoice in the grace of God poured upon our lives. Loving kindness has come to us because of Jesus Christ. Or I am a new creation, no more in condemnation. Here in the grace of God I stand. Your mercy taught us how to dance. And I'd feed on these things. If I was to say something about our generation is we, we often like to talk about how we feel and Many of our worship songs now have an element of feeling, and, and that's good because the Psalms express how we feel to God as well. But sometimes if all we're saying is how we feel all the time, that doesn't really feed our soul. It just tells us about us. When we feed on the truth of who God is and what he's done for us, it's liberating. It's joy giving. It's amazing. Let me encourage you to do that. So feed on the joy of emotions, feed on the joy of truth in your mind, feed on the joy of using your will, your will. Now, this is a really important one. David, in Psalm 122, do you ever think David needed encouragement to worship? Well, read this verse. He says, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Think about that verse. He says, I rejoice with those who said to me, let us go to the house of God. I think David wasn't feeling like it this day. I think some other worshippers were walking past and they said, hey, David, should we go? Should we go to the tabernacle? Should we go? Should we go to the house of God? Should we go and worship? And he says, yeah, all right then. And when he does it, he rejoices because he makes a decision to go with them. Now, these are difficult days for churches, aren't they? Because often all the mechanisms saying, hey, should we go to church? Or I'm going to see you on Sunday morning. I'm going to see you at a small group on Wednesday. All of those things are not there in the same way at the moment. We can find ourselves 
sitting in our pyjamas at lunchtime on a Sunday, having crawled out of bed to, to enjoy church together, watching the screen. But we haven't had to go anywhere. We haven't had to invite anybody. Nobody's had to knock on our door. We haven't got to get up to be on a rotor or a serving team. And somehow our will is less involved in the process. I want you to think about engaging your will. Think about that next small group. When somebody says, shall we Zoom? And your heart says, oh, no thanks, not again. Really fed up with Zoom. Or when somebody says, should we meet as a three in the park on this lovely cold August evening? And you think, oh, no, it's a bit cold out there. You know, your heart might be saying no, but your will is saying yes. And when you activate your will, you experience joy. That often happens to me when I don't want to do stuff, but I do it. I experience joy. Or when your alarm goes off in the morning and your Bible whispers to you, read me and you'll find joy. And your snooze button speaks louder and says, press me and you'll find joy. Use your will or follow the promptings of the spirit. When those voices inside your head are telling you to ignore Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, often as Christians, we spend too much time listening to ourselves and not enough time talking to ourselves. The will means we listen to what God says and we do it rather than allowing ourselves to persuade us out of it. In Psalm 42, the psalmist says, why so downcast, O my soul, put your hope in God. I will praise him. I will I will. Use that phrase in your Christian life in these challenging days. I will. Not just I feel, not just I know, but I will. It's life-changing. It's joy-giving. So today, let's pray that we experience this fruit of the Spirit with joy, with our whole being, with our mind and our will and our emotions. Let me take you to one final verse as we talk about this river which Jesus talked about in John chapter 7, verse 37. He said, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the Spirit. Here's the wonderful thing. This river of God, the river of the Spirit, Jesus says, It's coming to you. He says, it's not just coming to you, to anybody who asks, to anybody who thirsts, but it will flow out of you. I feel this world right now needs a bit more joy. I feel this world right now needs a bit more of the presence of God. How's it going to happen? It's going to happen by you and I, the people of God, receiving that joy, receiving the presence of God and letting it flow through us to the world. David said in Psalm 23, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. God is behind you, he's inside you, and he's before you as you go. God bless you guys. Let's pray together for this joy to fill our hearts. Lord, we welcome you today. And we thank you for the joy of salvation. We thank you that we were born to love you, born to worship you. Thank you that one day we'll get to do that forever. Eternal joy, amazing. 
I want to pray, Lord, as we experience challenge now and difficulty in different areas, I want to pray, Lord, come and fill us. Fill our hearts to overflowing. Fill our minds with the knowledge of your truth. And please, Lord, would you give us the power for our wills to be aligned to yours. Amen.